It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, we love Burger King grilled dogs. They're made with 100% beef and they're 100%. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Hello and welcome to the maiden voyage of the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. Kindly presented by Real GM. Uh, I'm with uh, Danny LaRue today. Uh, what's going on, Daniel? Doing well. Enjoyed a good weekend of basketball. How about you? Uh, yeah, I, I did too. Uh, I'm excited to be here. This is really going to be an interesting experiment for us. We're, basically, the idea is we're going to start doing what we hope will be pretty much a daily podcast recorded on Sunday through Thursday nights, discussing what happened previously in the NBA and with the playoffs coming up, that should be a great topic for us, uh, you know, moving forward for the next couple of months. And then, of course, we'll try to expand out as free agency and the draft approach to give more content on, on those areas. Um, but we'll see how this goes. This will be uh, the first time for me hosting a podcast, and it's not really going to be edited at all because there's no way that we could do it on a daily basis without that and get it up in time for the next morning. But uh, let's see. Let's get started. Let's talk about tonight's games. So I think the place to start is the real fascinating dynamic that's happening at the bottom of the Western Conference. And so there were two games that went on today on Sunday that were notable. And I I think we can start with the Oklahoma City-Houston game, which I thought was particularly notable just in the context of how it was happening at the same time as the... Oklahoma City Indiana game and so they were both really interesting just to ebb and flow yeah so well let's start with this I mean did you see the Westbrook technical what did you think about that I thought it was dicey but justifiable I think it would be very very surprising if the league rescinded it but at the same time not rescinding it kind of ruins what has been a truly great playoff run for that eight seed You know, over the years, we've seen a number of times, I think, and this happens probably more in college where the the referees are not quite as aware of what's going on, but I don't know that Ed Malloy kind of knew the situation with Westbrook that he would have to be suspended if he got a technical. It seemed like fairly run-of-the-mill behavior. I mean, you don't know, maybe he was warned before, but there wasn't like a vehement physical reaction. We don't know exactly what he said. Uh... But it wasn't anything we're looking at like, oh, he's in, he's fixing to get teed up here if he keeps this up, you know, just looking at it. What did you think? 
Yeah, it was one of those, one of the lines for me is if I'm surprised by a technical call, it probably isn't the best call because you, when you, you, it's kind of that thing, you know, when you see it and then there, there can be other stuff. I think you raised a great point that we don't know what was said. That's why I said it was dicey, but I also feel, and you can feel free to disagree, but I think that the referee should not consider the greater context of whether, what this means for a player's technical foul status in their next game. I think they should just make the call as they feel because otherwise you start to get into this weird gray area with refereeing that I just don't think makes it better. Yeah, maybe that's true. I don't know. I mean, like with two games left in the season and them in the playoff race, I I feel you if there's like a month left and he's already getting his his 16th technical of the year. But what I thought was pretty hilarious, though, is when he goes up to him, covers his mouth with his jersey because he knows people are going to be lip reading what he's saying, and I'm pretty sure, like, I mean, I I felt that feeling when you fall out of a game before, and you're just like, oh no, like, don't do this to me, like, you can't be doing this to me, you know, and yeah, you could, t- and, like, don't you know that I'm going to get suspended, like all, like, you know, that's exactly what he was saying to him, perhaps uh, more colorfully uh, with his jersey over his mouth, and I mean, I think Malloy. It's like, all right, this is just the first technical, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but it really did for the Thunder. We'll see. I mean, Brooks said afterwards he was confident that it was going to be rescinded. I mean, for those who don't know, Westbrook has now gotten his 16th technical on the year. That means he's going to be suspended for the Thunder's next game. So that's uh, obviously huge with them tied with New Orleans, but New Orleans having the tiebreaker because Anthony Davis hit that miracle shot uh, in that game back in, I think, February. So, so yeah, it's uh, it, it, that, that's not good for the Thunder, especially when they got waxed tonight by the Pacers. Exactly, and what makes this compelling is that the Pelicans and Thunder actually face one common opponent. They both have Minnesota, who has no reason to win because right now they're tied with the Knicks for the worst record. So what you're really looking at here is that each team is playing one game, and the Pelicans host San Antonio and the Thunder host Portland. And so as that situation goes, assuming both teams beat Minnesota, that means that the Pelicans would need to lose to Minnesota and the Thunder would need to beat Portland in order for them to get the eighth seed. And so losing to Portland theoretically would take them out of the running. How do you think, considering the Blazers have no real reason to win now that they've kind of fallen behind the other teams in the West, how do you think that a theoretical Oklahoma City-Portland game without Russ would shake out? Well, uh, I think it would be pretty darn high scoring. Um, you know, LaMarcus missed the game that I was at uh, last night, Saturday night, and they ended up losing at home to Utah. They've already shown a willingness to really rest guys when they just didn't even fly everyone out to that Brooklyn game earlier in the week. Uh, so, you know, I could see them definitely taking it pretty easy. I mean, they, as you mentioned, they are out of it now. They're, they're going to finish with the sixth worst record in the West with everybody having two games left to play. The Blazers have, uh, are 51 and 29, so they're three games behind everyone else who has a minimum of 54 wins. And so that they're still going to be the four seed because they are the winner of the glorious Northwest division. But they will not have home court in that series really regardless of what they do. So they might as well take it easy and rest. Um, 
So maybe the Thunder beat them, even without uh, Russell Westbrook. DJ Augustin is a pretty competent backup. You know, maybe they can still get it done. It may not be the death knell for them. And I definitely think that it would galvanize them as a team. This is a group of guys that have been much maligned, especially outside of Westbrook. And Anthony Morrow's a very good basketball player. And I don't know how much they have in, in terms of bench depth if you remove Westbrook, because obviously then you're sliding everybody up in the rotation. But Portland has no reason to win, and they have lots of reason to sit their best players. So they don't really care. It doesn't affect them at all. So we could even see a kind of the equivalent of a backup versus backup game. And to me, then, you're you're actually more excited because Portland's backups actually have something to prove, whereas the starters might be trying to avoid injury. Well, yeah, maybe that's true, but I think you're discounting how much they want to just defeat their hated Northwest Division rival, traditional Northwest Division rival. I mean, that's what <laughs> that's what these divisions are all about, right? These amazing rivalries, and I'm sure that Portland and their fans who just hate everyone else only in the Northwest Division just want to keep keep the Thunder out and let the let New Orleans into the playoffs. So they're gonna go. They're really gonna go balls to the wall in this game. I think. If they hadn't moved, all of that would be true, actually. <laughs> if this was Sonic's Blazers, I actually feel that the dynamic would be very different. Of co- Obviously, a lot of other things would be different, too. And and the other, this fits in with the other part of the West, because the team that, that New Orleans lost to is the same team, is in the same mix as the team that New Orleans plays in the last game of the year, which is the Spurs. And in what could be considered in some ways the worst case scenario for the Pelicans, they're facing a Spurs team that has plenty to play for probably on Wednesday. Yeah, the Pelicans really needed this this game tonight. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. They're, they're lost to the Rockets. Why don't we talk a little bit about the actual game itself uh, outside of the uh, technical foul festivities. Uh, you know, Russell Westbrook took, I think, 43 shots. Uh, 48 shooting possessions, had 53 points. Really one of the more remarkable performances that we've seen. And a lot of people are carping about, oh, he should have he, he should have passed more. You know, I can't believe he took this many shots, blah, blah. He was way more efficient than the rest of his Thunder teammates who couldn't throw it in the ocean at all. Their front court especially really struggled in that game. So, you know, I mean, I, I think it, it makes sense what he, what he was doing. And... But I think their bigger problem, as it has been for the last month uh, since Serge Ibaka went down, is they couldn't stop anybody. And this isn't a good Indiana offense. And they gave up, uh, by my calculations, at least before they ended following, a, a 118 offensive rating to the Pacers. And that's it's, that's just not really acceptable if you plan to go anywhere. Um, and, of course, the number one guy who was really at the heart of it all was uh, Ennis Cantor defensively. And yeah, I, we saw a different Roy Hibbert than we see most games because Roy Hibbert was relishing the matchup. It seemed like he was calling for the ball more than I remember, and he was doing yep. well with it. And the challenge with Ennis Cantor, and this is going to be true with whatever team signs him, whether it's an offer sheet or whether the Thunder retain him, that he is a good basketball player, but what you look for in a center are things that he largely doesn't have. And I think we saw a lot of that in this game in particular. Yeah, I mean, it, it really it ran the gamut of defensive mistakes. First, Hibbert starts it off, just ducks right in on him, gets deep post position. I mean, that's that's where Hibbert can really be effective is if he gets the ball right in the lane, you know, almost at the charge circle. Then you had a, a lack of help defense from 
from cancer. They put it, they started him on Hibbert. Then they put him on David West. David West hit some jumpers. Cancer had like very little help defense in the pick and roll. I mean, and this isn't exactly the most objective or scientific measure, but you know, I mean, when you watch a game, you notice good defense and you notice bad defense. I probably noticed specifically him making bad defensive plays 15 times and good defensive plays maybe like two or three times. And it's really, it's a problem, especially when you look at him only having 13 points um, on five of 11 today. So it was interesting. Another thing that popped out at me was the Thunder were down by about 10 and they came roaring back when Scott Brooks went with a small lineup with Anthony Morrow playing the four, and then they had Dion Waiters, who's a little stronger, guarding their, the four-man for Indiana. They came roaring back, and they, I think, got to win within two with that lineup because they were getting anything they wanted. They are missing free throws, but they are getting fouled all the time, and Indiana wasn't really able to take advantage. Then they did one play where David West succeeded in posting up. They didn't send any help at all. And he just got fouled, missed both the free throws, and Scott Brooks said uncle and brought back Nick Collison. Uh, and then things went downhill from there. It's just, it's a shame. Brooks really just does not want to play that way. Uh, and with the way Russ was playing, spreading the floor was working extremely well. And for something, there's always something psychological for coaches where if they get posted up, it's like, Getting beaten that way is just anathema to coaches in a way that getting beaten by shooting or drives to the basket just isn't. It's a great point. I, I think that you nailed you nailed the whole concept with it. And what's so frustrating about it is that it wasn't like Oklahoma City played the possession perfectly and they beat him, so it was this strategic flaw. It was just a situation where they just got they got beat on that specific play, but the aggregate was working really in their favor and to go away from it so quickly when it was doing so much better than all of their alternatives was, but it was jarring, but it was also, for me, it was kind of depressing because Oklahoma city, I've always seen them as this team that has kind of more creative potential than they have been given over the last largely four years. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, but so it's really a shame they wasted this Westbrook performance, which was was pretty awesome. They also shot 11 of 28 from the line. Uh, Steven Adams 0 for 6. Deion Waiters 0 for 4. That's not good, you know. And, and things things might have been they could have been right in it if they just made an average amount of their free throws too. But you know, luckily for them, uh, New Orleans lost. Why don't we turn to that game? Sure. So New Orleans at the time that Oklahoma City was ended up losing their game and Westbrook got the technical. Oklahoma City was ahead of Houston, but then to me, Houston just overpowered them down the stretch. They showed that their dominance, they got more transition baskets. Corey Brewer, who they call the Greyhound, which I really like. I think you like it too. They... Oh, no, no, no. Actually, I, I've been disabused of that notion because apparently, apparently Walter Davis had that nickname, according to our good friend, uh, Doug Eberhardt, who, uh, saw yesterday in uh in portland uh he had that nickname so i guess we're gonna have to cancel that one unfortunately because walter davis is a much better player than sorry Corey. Corey, Corey brewer was uh it's too bad because he actually really looks like him a lot and and he was i mean i thought what stuck out to me and really killed the pelicans in this game was their transition defense was horrendous and 
They had a lot of plays where Anthony Davis went to the offensive glass, Ryan Anderson, Omer Ashik all went to the offensive glass. They weren't really able to make a huge dent there. You know, they got 13 offensive rebounds to 31 defensive rebounds for the Rockets. And they kept the Rockets with Brewer, James Harden, just kept beating them down the floor and getting layups. And your bigs are really, especially when you have guys like that who can go downhill and do Euro steps against your smaller guys who are back, your key is getting your big guys back. That's the key to transition defense and preventing layups. And the Pelicans couldn't do that in this game. Yeah, they couldn't, and it doesn't help that Houston can be, when they're on, they can be so effective as a transition offense, but New Orleans didn't do themselves any favors. Yeah, and, you know, let's we can talk about James Harden, too. Once again, uh, he had 30 points on, let's see, looks like uh, 22 shooting possessions, so another really efficient game for him, although he did have four turnovers, seven assists, and, uh, you know, Jason Terry held up well enough again, he had 12 points uh, on seven shots. So th- the backcourt was able to get it done against uh, a New Orleans backcourt that you thought might have been able to light up guys like Harden and Terry. Uh, but they couldn't stop Houston well enough on the other end. And that's kind of been the story of this New Orleans season that despite their talent, they just haven't been able to stop anybody. How did you think that Drew Holiday looked in limited minutes? I thought he looked a little bit heavier than we've seen. Nothing terrible, but you know, he might get a chance to play himself back into shape a little bit more. Uh, his shot was on, which was good. I think with the success that they've had with Tyreek Evans, putting the ball in Evans' hand and having Holiday off the ball, and Eric Gordon, who's shooting almost 45% on threes this year, uh, having those two guys off the ball with Evans driving to the basket works better than Holiday having the ball and Evans spacing out since he can't really shoot. I mean, I think that they looked pretty good. Um, but again, the, the problem is the, the offense was fine. It's, Houston's a good defense. They scored just fine. It was just that they couldn't get back and couldn't stop the Rockets, and they eventually just devolved into fouling Josh Smith and Dwight Howard, which had little effect. It had a little effect, and I also felt like it disjointed New Orleans' offense, and it was very different to see a team do that playing from behind versus a team doing it from pl- when they're playing from he- from the lead because you have to score more points than the other team when you're when you're the team that's playing from behind and fouling, and I don't, I didn't see the benefit not only through the points per possession for Houston, but just New Orleans' offense generally didn't even didn't deliver what it had to do either. Yeah, and that's I think. The, the following thing I go back and forth on, I think when you're down, you want to get more possessions. That definitely helps. But you're also taking away the possibility of getting a turnover, getting a defensive rebound, pushing it down, getting a three. I think you know you, you really need to be able to get stops and hopefully get turnovers when you're really down by double digits with three minutes to go or less in the game. And they And to be clear, they started following much earlier than that and weren't really making up the ground. One thing that I did come to me, and I don't think they did this intentionally, but there was a time when Anthony Davis got switched on to James Harden pretty early in the shot clock. And it was, it was probably about 15 left in the shot clock and Harden backed up to the mid court to kind of get downhill and, and take advantage of the mismatch. And New Orleans followed at that point. And I think that that strategy might be more effective when you find yourself 
in difficulty like that where you're right, you know you have a mismatch, you know you've got a small guy in the post or something like that, uh, then maybe you can do it selectively when you know you're going to be in a situation where you're likely to give up more points than the free throws will yield. I think that's a great point. I hadn't thought of that kind of that nuance to take on it, but I think that might be the best way to do it. I mean, it's, it would take a lot of discipline and, you know, it would it would really probably take a, a real smart team. You know, so a team like the Warriors that really communicates well and has guys who understand situations really well might be able to employ the strategy. But anyway, that's uh, that, that's neither here nor there for the, the playoff race at this point. I mean, this was this was probably a golden opportunity for New Orleans. I think the fact that they have that Spurs game on Wednesday that the Spurs are going to be trying to win so they can secure the two seed uh, is going to be a problem. And, and certainly Oklahoma City has the more favorable schedule. And you would think that they even without Westbrook, they would probably be favorites at home against Portland, favorites obviously against Minnesota. And then New Orleans, uh, that game against San Antonio. Is that at home or on the road? I forgot. New Orleans hosts the game on Wednesday. So they have that as an advantage. But the other downside for New Orleans is that the game is early enough in the day that San Antonio will not know what happened in the other games. It actually occurs before most of the other Western Conference games. All right. Well, I mean, that's going to be a heck of a game. I'll be looking forward to talking about that one. on uh on Wednesday night show but all right so let's uh let's move on to the Eastern Conference then um you didn't get a chance to watch Bucks Nets I was able to catch snippets of it um what was really the the it was a two-point game at halftime the Bucks were up I think 43-41 and then they blew out the Nets in the third quarter a few thoughts occurred to me here I mean a lot of it was just bad luck for the Nets. At least that's how things started. You know, they missed four wide open threes in the quarter. They were getting good shots. And then they also had two terrible charge calls go against them in that first six minutes. But then the Bucks started really pouring it on. And Giannis Antetokounmpo has looked really good. His jump shot, which I was worried about earlier in the year, I think that he spent some time to rejigger his form. And that's now starting to pay off. And he's comfortable shooting jump shots off the dribble. He's now has a higher release. He used to kind of shot, put it off his shoulder and shoot a set shot. So, you know, he took a step back and now it looks like he's starting to get there at least for mid range. Uh, And the other thing that popped out at me was that Zaza Pachulia really did a nice job. He's someone who I think both of us kind of derided his contract. When the Bucks signed, it was like, all right, where are you trying to go signing this guy, a backup center for three years and 15 million, but he's actually been a capable starter for the Bucks this year. Absolutely, and you have you have to think about it, I guess, differently. Considering, unfortunately, what happened with Larry Sanders, I think that what they what they saw in him was different than what we saw, and they were definitely closer to being right because he has a, a far more important role right now than I expected, and he's done a very good job with it. Yeah, and you know, with the way the cap has gone up, or you know, will be going up, that's that that. I mean, he expires at the end of next year, but $5 million for he's basically been their starting center all year has been a great steal. And maybe, you know, the thought was, even though they signed Sanders, that he was, or, or had planned to sign Sanders at that point, that they kind of knew what his level of volatility was, and that turned out to be a smart 
uh, insurance policy by John Hammond and company. Yeah, and they're in a great situation because they should have the flexibility to to add to what is already a good core, and they're so young that they should have internal improvement as well. Yeah, so I mean, so we could talk about how it's going to look for them, you know, on some of these later shows. But yeah, so they now, I believe, are locked into the six seed. The yes, Bucks are. They are. Um, and so that leaves us now with a three-way scrum between. Essentially, the Pacers, Nets, and Celtics. The Heats are pretty much out of it now unless two teams, I think, lose all of their games and the Heat win out, um, I think is what it is. Or maybe there's maybe there's one loss. They, they can suffer one win among the two bottom teams above them and have to win out is the scenario for the Heat. They're probably going to just try and keep their top 10 protected pick at this point, which they're in position to do. Utah's win... Last night was huge for them to help secure that because it, now it looks like Utah will be uh, the 11th quote-unquote seed in the draft. And the Celtics won. So they now are in the 7th seed. They have a one-game lead on the Nets and Pacers. And the Celtics and Nets have the tie break over the Pacers, both of them. So uh, the, the, the Pacers and Nets, really, it looks like is probably going to be uh, – battling it out for the eighth seed yeah and the scheduling gods continue to be the best friends of the boston celtics right now because they just got two wins against the Cavs resting guys and they're facing milwaukee on the last day of the year and milwaukee has plenty of reason considering they've been battling to now to rest their guys so i feel like the celtics are pretty comfortably in the last one is interesting because the nets have two home games that are one one should be tough. The other one, I don't know, is they host the Bulls, which is a very important game for a couple reasons. And then they host the Magic, who actually played a really fun spoiler this week. I've actually watched more Magic than I've watched recently, which is exciting. They've they've been playing with energy and they've been playing with passion. And they, they're they in a situation where losing and winning doesn't make a whole lot of difference for the draft stock. So they're playing really hard. And then the Pacers have the Wizards and the Grizzlies, who are going to have disparate things to play for because the Wizards are pretty settled into the five, but Memphis is in the middle of the West morass, so they're probably going to be gunning for that game. Yeah, it, it was funny. When I talked to Danny about starting starting the show and, and what do you want to do, I was like, oh, you know, you think you could look up uh, you know, who, where we're at in terms of the standings and who has who left to play and stuff. He's like, Oh yeah, no, I don't need to look it up. I have a spreadsheet already. Uh, why don't you just watch uh, Bucks Nets and I'll I'll take care of this. So, so now, so we're looking at a spreadsheet which he already had. He didn't even need to like create it. Uh, so yeah, thanks thanks for doing that. Always always good to have uh, a huge nerd at our disposal. Happy to do um, it. I've done. I've been had that for about a week and a half now, just because <laughs> it was it was hard for me to visualize how the games were going. And what's been fun about having a sheet like that is how I think about the games has changed. For an example, the Celtics having those two games against Cleveland. At first, I was like, "Oh man, that's going to be two losses. That's going to be tough." And then, as everything shaded out, they just got a gift, and that's the way it works out. You know, that's when you have a long season and you have everything you have everything going for such a long duration of time when you face teams can matter a whole lot. Yeah. So it looks like, uh, I mean, the Pacers are lucky in that the bulls and the Raptors are both fighting for, uh, for playoff position. They're both fighting for the three seed. Uh, they want to, I'm sure would much rather play Milwaukee than Washington. 
And so, you know, Pacers fans especially are going to be rooting tomorrow night for the Bulls uh, in Brooklyn against the Nets. Yeah, and I'm excited for that game also because it's one of the rare ones this year where both teams have something to play for, paralleling the Rockets-Pelicans game today. And they both have kind of a lot to play for because the Nets need something unless the Pacers give them a gift. And the Bulls have a huge incentive, at least to me, to be the three rather than the four. And as the resident Chicago native, I will ask you if you feel the same way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think Washington probably scares the Bulls a little bit more. Um, that then Milwaukee does. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that look like if you can't beat Washington, you're not going to get anywhere anyway. Um, but they all, that also is the advantage of avoiding Cleveland. Really, though, if your goal is all right, we want to get to the finals. Number one, you want to play Milwaukee while the rotation is still sort of getting settled out, while Rose is still getting his feet under him, and he let, he looked. Uh, pretty good on Saturday night, um, you know. So that was encouraging, although it was against a Sixers squad that basically didn't have a point guard on the active roster. Um, and then you can cut. The idea would be you kind of get your act together against Milwaukee. Then you you got to play Cleveland or Atlanta in some order anyway to get to the finals. So although you might have a better chance of getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. If you're in the Atlanta bracket and you might say you have a better chance of being them, which I'm not even sure is actually true, uh, you know, you'd rather just, you're basically trading Milwaukee for Washington, and that's a good trade off considering that you got to play Cleveland and Atlanta anyway. Yeah, and I'm not sure that there's a particular advantage to either order, and considering the way the East is shaking out, I think any team below the top two has to expect that they're going to face both of those teams. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely the case. Uh, so let's why don't we wrap up how things stand now in the West, uh, and, and we'll make that our last segment. So let's see. Let me get the standings in front of me. So the Spurs, with their win, now they have a half game lead. Uh, they're now fifty five and twenty six. They have a half game lead over the Clippers. Grizzlies and Rockets, all of whom are 54 and 26 right now. What do we have as the remaining schedule for those teams? Okay, so yeah, the way I like to think about it for good teams is the loss column, and they're all tied in the loss column. So Memphis has against the Warriors at Oracle on Monday, then they face Indianapolis in Memphis on the last game of the year game we talked yeah. about a little bit. Yeah, and so and also we should mention, you know, the Grizzlies are struggling with some injuries. Marcus Gasol yep. sprained his ankle last night. He's questionable. Conley also questionable against the Warriors. Uh, I mean, if those guys are at all a little bit dicey, uh, what do you do? You play them or are you just going to sit them, try and get healthy and, you know, fall where you may in the playoffs? I would honestly, in if you're not going to be the two, I don't see that much of a difference between the three and the six because I think I would rather fall to the six than be in the five and be on Golden State side of the bracket personally. So I think if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you might as well just make sure you're healthier and slide down a little bit. Be willing to obviously if you win the game, that's excellent. Well, I think I think the five is where they want to be because number one, you get uh, a wounded Portland team in the first round. I mean, so yeah, if you're if you're not going to be two, I think you would rather be. And you know what? Actually, I might even rather be five 
than three if I were in the Western Conference. I mean, and let's think about that a little bit more. But the reason is, if you are, well, let's see, yeah. I mean, if, if you are three, then you could very likely end up having to play the Clippers in the first round, assuming you're not the Clippers, Spurs in the second round, and then the Warriors. Like, there's no way you're running that gauntlet of all three. If you're the five seed, you get Portland in the first round, then you probably get Golden State in the second, and then you get only one of the Clippers and Spurs. And I think you and I agree that the Warriors, Spurs, and Clippers are kind of a cut above the rest of these Western teams. Do you you agree on that? I do, especially because they're largely healthier than the other ones. And so those are teams that are going to come out of the gate strong and that are going to be there. I I actually have the Clippers and Warriors a small tier above the Clippers, but I would say the Clippers of of everyone else of the teams in that mix, I think that they're the best right now and probably the best over the whole season too. Yeah, so Spurs and Warriors, I mean, uh, above the Clippers. Yeah, Spurs, yeah. Warriors, then Clippers, then everyone else. So, yeah, I think I think number five is probably where I would prefer to be because if you're th- even if you're three, you'll have home court, but you're going to be playing a tougher team in the first round, either uh, the Grizzlies or Rockets or Clippers, than you would if you're playing the Blazers. So, and, and then you get to... Probably, and if you're five, you also get to avoid one of the Clippers or Spurs on your likely non-existent path to the finals anyway, because you're not that good. But if you're really trying to optimize your your positioning, I think especially if you're Memphis and you want to get healthy, you're just fine chilling out as the number five seed. The hard thing about that, though, with every team tied in the loss column and so much to play for, is that it might be hard to try to get the five. But if you're relatively ambivalent between the three and the six, then then that then moving down isn't that big a deal. All right, so then so the Spurs they only have one game left. They're at the Pelicans, as we already talked about. That's on that's on Wednesday. Um, the Blazers at OKC and then at Dallas, both meaningless for them, uh, at least for the Blazers. The Rockets are at Charlotte and then home against Utah. Um, and then the Clippers are home against Denver and at Phoenix. So, and the Mavericks, it doesn't matter what they do. They're going to be the number seven seed regardless. So who, who do you like? But what's your, what's your prediction for how things shake out given those schedules? I think the Spurs, have, because of the tie, I don't think the Spurs and Clippers are losing again. And if those two teams don't lose, they're the two and the three in that order. I believe it doesn't even really matter um, what the other teams do, just in terms of the tiebreakers, because the Spurs would win the Southwest Division, or would Spurs would win the, is it the Southwest Division? They would win their division. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, and Southwest. Then, and then the Clippers, I believe, have tiebreakers over the other teams. Uh, and so, if those two teams win, then you start to talk about the, the five and the six, I feel like the Grizzlies are more likely to lose a game than the Rockets are. So I'll go Rockets. So then we would get the rematch, the Rockets-Blazers rematch, which would have an amazing revenge potential also because Portland is so wounded and the Rockets would have lots and lots of motivation. Yeah, and then you're going to get a Grizz-Clippers likely 3-6 series. So yeah, you know, I think I think I agree with you. I think it shakes out Spurs to... Clips three, Blazers four, Rockets five, and uh, Grizzlies six. Um, you know, but I think I think if if I were the Grizzlies, I think I sit everyone against the Warriors on Monday because I mean they got to just be healthy. Like 
there's just not being healthy sprained ankles are the type of thing where it's like you got to rest them to heal like you can kind of play but you're not going to be 100 percent. and if you keep playing on it it's not going to heal nearly as well as if you sit out um see what happens and then you know if you have something to play for still in that uh indiana game on wednesday play see if you can get the five seed if, if everyone's ready if the rockets uh have beaten have beaten charlotte um you know they're probably then they'd probably beat utah at home too and maybe you still continue to sit guys i mean a lot of it depends on the health too but uh, i mean if there's any question and you feel like you can get those guys healthy get them almost a whole week of rest and be totally ready to go uh then i think that's probably what i'd do if i were the grizzlies one other thing that I'd like to note is that the Memphis game occurs on Wednesday is an hour and a half later than the Houston game. So they could even be flexible enough to just say, okay, looks like the Rockets are going to win. They could even have a quicker hook than they than they need to have because you don't have to play in it in a vacuum. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's good. That, this whole time thing is not on the sheet, by the way. You, I can't believe you held this back for me, but... Uh... All right, we'll uh, we'll trust you on that, even though it has not been recorded for posterity on the spreadsheet. Nope, that's why I have my, I have a phone open with the timing because I'm very into that sort of thing. So I I happen to I just had it to check. All right, well I think that's a good wrap up for today. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow and and give everyone else an update on hopefully tomorrow night's show. Uh, until then, uh, this has been the maiden voyage of the Dunked On Basketball Podcast uh, with Danny LaRue, uh, thankfully helping out. Talk to you guys next time. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love a sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt.